Dr. Kimberly Earl is here to uh, answer a whole bunch of pet questions. G'day, Kimberly. We haven't seen you for a while. We just worked out. Yeah, it's been a little while because you've been away and then I wasn't on. And, you know, anyway, here we are again. And I know there's a lot of stuff happening. What are some of the things you've been seeing a lot in the uh, in the, in the vet's uh, surgeries at the moment? Yeah, coming into spring, seeing lots of itchy skin in dogs and cats, um, seeing a lot of gastro-type symptoms, doggies eating things that they shouldn't and, um, you know, there's oh, there's been a few mushrooms around and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just randomly I've been seeing a lot of congestive heart failure, heart disease and, and problems in dogs. So, mm. um, you know, we often say that things come in threes. So, you know, if you don't see a particular case type for a while and then you go, oh, oh I just had a seizuring dog. And then next week it's like another seizuring it's dog. It's like, same. okay, where's the third one? Waiting for the third one. So. All right. Well, we'll get into some of those uh, things that are happening at the moment. Plus your calls if you have a question for our Pet Chat team today. In the meanwhile, though, you've been sort of snooping around the the, the, the veterinary clinics and you found yeah. a few sort of skin issues seem to be popping up at the moment. Itchy, scratchy dogs, mm. yeah. So, I mean, we're still, well, I guess we're in spring now um, as yeah. of this week. Um, but, you know, our winter season is a time where there's a lot of um, flowering plants around, a lot of pollens in the air. And for lots of dogs, that can be a real trigger for them. Um, so, you know, if you take your dog for a walk, you you often will smell the, um, the wattles and things like that. And for some dogs, that can be, um, you know, something that sets them off. They start to get quite itchy. Um, you might see that they're scratching more of an evening. They might be licking at their paws more often. Um, they might be just scratching with their back feet. Or they might even get, um, you know, a real breakout in a rash, or an itchy red rash or scabbing on the tummy, things like that. So um, if your dog is seeing some of those seasonal things, it's definitely worthwhile having a chat with your local vet about it. Um, but also doing things like making sure that they're flea control um, is really up to date. And um, now we're going to start to see ticks, uh, you know, coming out pretty, pretty much now. Um, but fleas really have, uh, will have enjoyed the last sort of cooler, damp periods of the year. That's what fleas really like. Um, and dogs that have sensitivities to one thing or allergies to one thing will often have multiple al- allergies. Um, and so those dogs are more susceptible to like a flea allergy reaction, not necessarily a heavy flea burden, but we definitely see our dogs that will have a single, um, you know, flea bite cause a, a really big reaction in them. So um, that's a really easy thing to do. Washing all their bedding if they're sleeping on a bed, that can be really helpful to reduce some of the allergen burden. Um making sure that, you know, you're washing them in a nice um, shampoo that is um, soothing if they don't have any skin infection. But your vet might actually say, actually, there's a skin infection here and you're going to need a medicated shampoo. Um, And that can be um, really beneficial as well to try to sort of cut down on the numbers of bacteria and yeast that are on the skin, causing them to be itchy. This transitional time of the year uh, Mm. really can be tricky. It absolutely is, yeah, because, you know, dogs are, uh, it's not so hot. Um, so a lot of dogs that will be spending the summertime inside, they're spending a lot more time outside at the moment. Um, and so they're getting exposed to a lot of things. And um, I think we were talking a few weeks ago that my dog's just had her skin allergy testing done. Yeah. And she's like really, really reacted strongly to a lot of different things. Um, and all the flowering plants, all the Australian natives are things that, um, that she reacts to. Um, and I certainly have seen her. Um, very itchy over the last few weeks, despite all those interventions that I'm doing with her. 
like we said, it's just a tricky time of year. I have being a, a hay fever sufferer, yeah, I know it's <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago I just went out and oh just head off to the, the shopping centre, walked outside, warm, a little bit of wind. I love those conditions, but they don't love me. No, it's t- yeah. tough. Yeah. And for the dogs as well. <laughs> Good afternoon, Robert at Berry Park. Your cavoodle uh, gets a little bit overexcited with uh, the T V. What's happening there, Robert? Um well, basically, that's it. If he sees a another animal, not, nine times out of ten, it's dogs on TV. He'll react to them and race towards the the TV and barking and carrying on. Not, you know, he's not a biter. Right? He, don't, he doesn't bite yep. other dogs. He, he gets on fine, but he's very excited. Good. Yeah, yeah, very excited. Yeah, so, I mean, I would say, first of all, congratulations, because it means your cavoodle is smart enough to realise um, in his brain he's able to translate that two-dimensional picture of a dog into a three-dimensional, um, you know, construct. Um, and they actually say that, like, only really relatively smart dogs will do that. Lots of dumb dogs won't actually. They'll look at a picture and it's just a picture. Um, but, you know, I guess it's problematic because uh, the dogs obviously don't know the difference between the dog walking outside and the dog that's on the screen, and particularly this day and age when our televisions are such good quality you know I think when you had the old fuzzy blurry picture two decades ago (laughs) it didn't really matter the dogs weren't really reacting but now everybody's got you know um, high definition televisions and it can definitely be harder um, for the dogs to understand so what we would encourage you to do um, is not allow the dog to practice those behaviors Um, we don't want to encourage it and I know that for myself like often my daughter will see my dog react to something on the television and she thinks it's hilarious. So the next thing you know, she's laughing and, you know, cajoling and, and, you know, inadvertently praising the dog for those behaviors. But we don't want them to become fixated on what's happening on the television because it's certainly going to impact your enjoyment of um, whatever television show you're watching. Um, So we do talk about um, trying to um, distract them, um, give them something that's more... um, Uh, enjoyable than what's on the television. Um, Try to distract them away with a treat or a game or a bit of a pat. Um, Try to block their vision until they, um, you know, can can focus on something different, um, if you can. And sometimes just changing the channel for a moment and then redirecting them, um, getting them into something else so that when you flick back to it, hopefully they're already focused on a toy or a treat. Um, Some dogs will get very agitated by it. um, And it's a little bit like the, um, the mailman syndrome, right? whereas they bark and bark and bark at the screen and eventually the dog on the screen will go away um, and the dog, your little dog, is sitting there going, ha, I chased you away, just like they do with the postman every day. Um, And so it can be something that um, works itself up into a worse and worse problem. Um, So, you know, if it's just a little bit, oh, here it is, you know, I'm going to wag my tail and have a little bark and then it's not really something I'm obsessing about. It's probably not a major drama. But if your dog's really focused on it, we do want to take some active steps to try to um, decrease that influence, take them away, turn the screen off, put them in a separate room or give them a little treat, something else to entertain them. Yeah, I understand that. That's fine. I'll try that. Um, yeah, um, yeah. unfortunately, we don't always know when these ads come on. And That's right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Before you know it, he's jumped off the lounge 100 mile an hour. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right, well, well, we'll try that. And, and look, while I was away on holidays, I, way up north Queensland, I had you on, and, and I heard you talking about putting fibre in there uh, over their meal, like a, like a little uh, yep. powderish fibre type thing. What, sure. what, what was that? 
Oh, so there's lots of different things you can use. So um, we will often send people to the human chemist and, you know, look for products like Movacol or even just Metamucil. Um, for some things, we actually get people to get just um, pure raw psyllium husk. You have to just use very small amounts of that. Um, but any of those products, the important thing is that they need to be unflavored, not sweetened, because some of the human um, non-sugar sweeteners like xylitol are really toxic for dogs. So just look for one that's an unflavored one. Thank you. No worries. Best of luck with that, uh, Robert. Good afternoon, Jennifer at Katara. Uh, you're on with uh, Dr. Kim Leol on Pet Chat. Now your six-month-old kitten isn't as tidy as you'd like it to be, Jennifer. No, he's not. He's he's very good at using the kitty litter, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have any accidents. But when he's gone to the toilet, um, sometimes I'm finding afterwards there's still a, like a little bit of um, mess still on him. Mm-hmm. He's a half rag doll, so he's quite furry. And as he's getting older, he's just getting furrier and furrier. Yep. Um, but sometimes I find that he might um, accidentally step into what he's just done mm-hmm. or he'll come running out of the litter and I pick him up and it's down his back leg or under his tail and he's just not, Good at like, not bothered up. by it at all. So yeah. I'm finding that... Um, we generally get some white uh, water, wet paper towel, give him a wipe. But sometimes it's been quite bad that we've had to actually give him a little bath, which Mm -hmm. he's not pleased about. But... And then after he's very wet, he will lick and clean and, yeah. and really clean himself. But I'm finding, yeah, I don't know if we're doing the right thing by helping him out or if this is normal kitten behaviour, but it generally is nine times out of ten. He goes to, Every time he goes to the toilet, I will pick him up and I'll think, oh, you're very smelly. Yeah. I need to go and clean you. Sure. So just, yeah. yeah, I'm just not sure what to do with him. So he's pretty young and hopefully um, his toileting or his hygiene behaviours will improve as he gets older. Um, you know, most cats are pretty fastidious. We do know, like, so cats like ragdolls and things will often, if their fur gets too um, long or too matted, um, they sort of will give up um, and they'll often stop trying. So it's really important that we're doing daily grooming with him every day anyhow Um, but in the short term I would look to um, see if you can find um, a groomer or a vet hospital who can just give him a little hygiene clip where they just take a bit of a trimmer underneath the tail down the backs of the legs a little bit um, and even sort of in in between the legs so that there isn't as much long fur there because probably he's just not very good at it yet and it'll come um, you know once his kittens are always they're very full of life and they're very you know they're looking around and they're, they're like children. They get distracted very easily. Once yeah. he's a little older and he's a little bit more settled, hopefully he'll do a better job of cleaning himself up. But he, right. I don't think there's any problem with helping him out in the meantime. But okay, your cool. job will be made easier if you trim up some of that long, fluffy kitten fur. Okay, best of luck, Jennifer. <laughs> we'll uh, stick with the cats now. Good afternoon, Dorothy at Gateshead. Uh, your cat had a bit of a personality change once the, uh, once the dissexing and the microchipping happened, Dorothy. Yes, I've only microchipped and dissexed, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just completely changed. Okay, so how old is this cat, and what how what age was he when these procedures were done? It's is is two in January. Yeah, and he was done last week. Okay, so he was a more mature cat when that um, when those procedures were done. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and. Um, but just last week. That's interesting. So what what are you seeing that, that has changed for him? 
Well, he used to walk around of a night time singing out Mum all the time. Mm-hmm. And he just wouldn't stop. But now he's stopped. And okay. he's, just, he's just a lot more friendly with other people now. Okay, yeah. Than he wasn't before. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, but I want to know if it's what's supposed to happen. Well, it often can because so if you've got a, a, a mature undersexed male, um, and it sounds like that, you know, walking around crying at night behavior, I wouldn't necessarily consider that normal. That to me sounds like a cat who's a little bit frantic. Maybe there's some, um, you know, female cats in the neighborhood, and he's smelling them. He's looking to get out. He's, you know, yeah, looking well, for that, attention. That's what he did a couple of weeks ago, and he went for four days. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the desexing, to be totally honest, there will still be some testosterone in his system. Usually it takes three weeks or so for that to all get out of his system. But obviously once the testicles are removed, then then the testosterone level drops fairly significantly. Um, It does sound like he's a little bit more of a settled cat. Um, And and that, I guess, is what we would expect. Uh, to a certain degree, just a little bit quicker than I would have maybe thought would happen. Um, but it does sound like maybe he was a bit more frantic to begin with, and now he's maybe just sort of chilling out a little bit, uh, you know, and less territorial. Um, those sorts of things we would expect from um, a desexing. Um, and so maybe that's what you're seeing, that he is just going to calm down a little bit because he's not feeling so, um, you know, hot, I guess, when you talk about, you know, you know, Lots of hormones and things like that. So really good. Yeah, it would. But I noticed the other cat. Yeah. He's seven, and yet this one chases the other one around. That's not uncommon. The young cat, you know, the up and comer, trying to, um, you know, usurp the older cat. So um, there will probably be some changing dynamics over the next few weeks, but hopefully it'll all settle out really nicely. All right, thank you so much, uh, Dorothy. And yes, there are probably a few other words that we could call that as well, Kimberly, but we won't. Uh, you didn't like hot? No, hot's fine. Hot's fine. There's another one starting with H as well. Yeah. 49216216. A little bit more of pet chatter here at 2NURFM. We're the dynamic duo here, you and well, me. Well, I can't answer any of these. So uh, I would have had a crack at the next one. G'day, Ross, at Tanilba Bay. Uh, you wanted to ask about Devon and your dog. What's happening, mate? Mate, I've got a Shih Tzu dog, and <clears throat> I end up with leftover processed meats. Yep. Like silver side, okay. um, ham, yep. and Devon. Forget the dog, dog. bring it in here. <laughs> bring it in here, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard various rumours yep. about feeding small dogs or any dog on some of those processed meats. Okay. And I just wanted to get it straight. Straight, sure. Um, Because, you know, hey... um, You don't want to make your friend sick. Oh, no, I've had her for now nearly eight years. and (laughs) Sure. She's uh, my loyal companion. I bet. So tell me, Ross, is that the meat, you say you end up ending up with leftover processed meats. And so is this the stuff that you're taking out after the fri- after a week in the fridge and you're like, oh, it's probably not good enough for my, my sandwich this afternoon? You know, should I give it to the dog? Or are yeah. you saying, I bought it for a particular occasion, I'm not no. likely to eat it through the week, but it's still fresh, and can I feed it to my dog? Yeah, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I don't say on its own, okay. I normally would 
cut it up into yeah. individual into smaller sections and then feed it with a normal food sure so we we do in our practice we actually use devon as a high value reward um, for dogs coming in if we need to bribe them to you know say try to get their nails trimmed um, I'll often use it for um, puppies when I'm vaccinating them giving them a needle I'll put a couple little tiny pieces of devon on the table and and um, you know they're usually so focused on that they don't know notice that I'm sticking them with the needle Um in small quantities, I don't think that there's any problems, provided it is still good within date and, and not, you know, like we don't want to be giving anything to dogs that you wouldn't eat because if it's not good for you, it's not going to be good for them either. They're going to cause oh, yeah, them some yeah, gut no, upset. You know, if, it, if yeah. it's gone off or anything, it's yeah. gone off and it just goes straight in, in the, the garbage. In the bin, great. Um, and then it depends a little bit on your individual dog. So if there are some dogs who um, can eat just about anything and they have an iron stomach. It's not going to cause them a problem. We have other dogs who you give them, you know, more than like half a teaspoon of that kind of stuff. And it's so rich that it's going to give them some diarrhea or some problems. Um, I wouldn't give it to any dog that has a history of pancreatitis um, or frequent diarrhea. But I think if you've just got small amounts, certainly Devon on its own or Silverside on its own is not... A balanced diet. But if you're adding it on top of the food, it's a small amount and your dog is tolerant of it, no problems at all. Thank you so much, Ross. And again, what do you think? Kimberly, should we bring some of that silver side in here? Yeah, maybe. Good afternoon, <laughs> Debbie at Mirabuka. You're all about a question about worming dogs today. Yes. Hi. I, um, I've got a five-year-old female, Staffy, and she um, eats all kinds of atrocious things on mm-hmm. a walk. Like- yep. Duck poo, swan poop. Yes, I, I worm her regularly, three monthly. But yep. my question, I've, I've googled it, but I don't seem to be able to find. Should I be worming her more frequently because of this? I do try and stop her mm-hmm. getting into these things, but she's very quick. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're yeah. they're fast. Dogs love yucky, stinky things, don't they? Uh, yes. Listen, <laughs> if she's an adult dog and she's otherwise healthy, doesn't have very other issues, and yeah. you're not seeing problems in the stool. Um, then I still believe that three-monthly worming is the standard. Now, if you're feeding her a lot of raw meat or she's got access to a property where she's going and finding no, you know, dead bodies, no. things like that, yeah. then you might want to do it a little bit more frequently. Um, there are some, um, uh, let's say, some of the pharmaceutical companies who have products that are monthly products and they um, do a lot of advertising around that monthly worming is better and is safer. Um, I don't know that that's actually been proven by anybody. Um, I think the fact that there are, um, there absolutely will be, you know, worm eggs and things like that in the dog parks and and when you go out and stuff like that. But I think for a normal, healthy adult dog, if you're worming them on three-monthly basis and you're not seeing worms coming out in their stool, um, I don't think you need to do it any more frequently than that. Um, Oh, look, thank you for that. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks for your help. You're welcome, Debbie. To NURFM 103.7, we are still here with Dr. Kimberly Earl doing the pet chat thing for you. And good afternoon, Viv at Singleton. Another worming dog question, but this time your puppy. What's How old's your puppy, Viv? What have you got? I'm Viv, not Viv. Oh, I'll blame them. Sorry. I'll blame them on our reception team. They gave. They wrote <laughs> yeah. Viv, so apologies, Bev. That's all right. Um, I've got two pug puppies. One's five months old and the other one's three months old. Yep. 
And um, I, they're up to date with the vaccinations. They, they get wormed. But I'm curious, how often should they get wormed? Yeah, so puppies are different to um, adult dogs. Their immune systems are still immature. They don't have a natural resistance to worms, things like that. You can actually develop an immune response to worms, and, and that can actually help keep the worm numbers in check. Um, so puppies, our standard recommendation is from two weeks of age to 12 weeks of age, puppies should be getting wormed with a complete all-wormer every fortnight. And from 12 weeks of age, so three months up to six months, they should be getting done every month. Okay. Okay. Now, if you haven't been, yeah. So, if you haven't been doing that, you don't need to panic. We just want to make sure that we get a couple sort of close together worming doses into them, um, because the life cycle of some of those worms, if you if you go three months, it's enough to sort of have a burden build up inside a puppy um, yes. and the puppies can get worms transmitted to them through the breast milk and across the placenta from the mother so some puppies were actually will be born with a worm burden already in situ in their gut um, they've never breathed air and they've got worms in their tummy so you know it's important for us to do that more frequently in puppies um, but with your guys if you're worming them monthly that should take care of it uh, yeah, until they're well, six my months big girl, age. as I said she's five months and she's been done three times now that I know of perfect yep and my boy has been done twice. So, right, yeah. Um, and the other thing, while you're talking about dogs, or that lady was talking about dogs eating feces, yep. I'm out around the army base quite a bit, mm-hmm. and I was told something about dogs with kangaroo poo. Uh, yeah. be quite dangerous, is that right? Um, oh, I don't know if I would say it would be particularly dangerous. Most of the intestinal worms that um, are going to be transmitted um, from you know from macropods and, and herbivorous species to dogs aren't going to be really specific for causing a lot of problems in dogs. It would be more of a concern if they're eating the meat because they could get the um, the nasty tapeworms, the hydatid tapeworms potentially from that. Um, so I'm not worried overly, just normal worming for, for poo eating. Thank you so much, Bev, and indeed everybody else that uh, gave us a call today. Kimberly, we're done. You can go out into the big wide world now. Thank you. We will remind, <clears throat> remind though, that uh, there is a, a, both a dog and a cat of the week, and they're both very lovely. Yeah, go check them out. They're pretty cute. Yeah, check out Journey the Cat uh, about our website and also uh, the dog. We've Toto. got Toto, one-year-old mm, terrier there. Terrier. Uh, up at the Pet Chat page at 2NURFM.com.au. Thanks, Kimberly. We'll, co- we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.